welcome to episode six of Role Play Grow, the podcast for tabletop entrepreneurs, creators, and fans. I am Courtney Stover of Lighthearted Adventures, and in this podcast, we talk to the creators behind the brands and the tabletop roleplay gaming space about who they are and how they are turning their passion for gaming into a career. Today's guest is the amazing Friday Elliot of Friday Afternoon Tea. Friday has been blending teas and selling them online for over 10 years, and she recently opened a brick-and-mortar location. Her blends really are truly unique and special because of a superpower that she tells us about at the beginning of the episode. Friday creates blends that are based off of a huge swath of nerd culture, including critical role characters, TV show characters, books, music, and more. She says she has over 400 blends currently. And honestly, y'all, there's so much good content packed in today's episode. And Friday is just a truly delightful person. She talks about everything from running an online storefront to failing at Kickstarter and then adapting to succeed on a second attempt, hiring staff, building a community, and just a whole lot more. I know that I shouldn't pick favorites, but this is honestly one of my favorite episodes so far. And I know that you are going to want to be best friends with Friday afterward, just like I do. If you've been hanging out and listening for a little bit, then you know that before we dive in, I'm going to give a quick shout out to one of my favorite dice companies, Dice Envy. I interviewed their founder, David, in episode one, and we learned about all sorts of goodies that are coming out this year that I'm really excited for. So if you are in the market for some dice, I highly recommend you check them out. And then when you fall in love with their selection, use code LIGHTHEARTADV to get 10% off your order. You'll get amazing dice, support a small company, and help support this podcast. Now sit back, get ready to laugh a lot, and learn even more from Friday. Today, we are chatting with the lovely Friday Elliott, the CEO of Friday Afternoon Tea, which is based in Seattle. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. How are you doing today? Oh, doing great. Just starting uh, my caffeination regimen for the day. I'm still in my first pot of tea, so you know it can only go up from here. <laughs> How much tea do you normally have in a day? Uh, I don't think they've invented that number yet. Um, <laughs> I pretty much mainline the stuff like from the second I wake up until I cannot physically stay awake anymore. <laughs> that sounds horrible and unhealthy. Um, it's also only a slight exaggeration. All tea, all the time, every day. <laughs> Honestly, I feel that way about how much coffee I drink, and I'm slowly transitioning <laughs> to drinking more tea. I have a huge collection of tea. I just mm. need to drink it more. <laughs> oh, totally. Well, that can happen. People start collecting because there's just so much variety. There's like literally thousands of options, and you're just like, oh, that sounds good. Or that sounds good. Or like, oh, that one's so pretty. Tea is mm-hmm. so pretty. So the visual aesthetic can get you the aroma, the the you know the flavor palette of the whole thing. It just all of it can get you. And then suddenly, next thing you know, you've got like three cups birds that are completely full of tea and can't close anymore. And then you're like, well, I might as well just start a tea shop because that's basically where my life is going. Let's be real here. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like you're speaking from personal experience. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Uh, So Friday, can you just start by telling us a little bit about who you are and how you got into the gaming world? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I'm Friday Elliot, and uh, gosh, who am I? I'm <laughs> I'm the 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 nerdy queer tea lady of the West Coast of the United States. It's kind of my my thing, my jam. Um, I am a, a single mom of living in Seattle with my awesome teenager, who actually is partly responsible for getting me into the gaming world. Uh, I have a 15 year old who we nicknamed Teacup on the internet. Uh, who like we're so close. It's just been the two of us forever, and we're like super tight. And uh, Teacup is huge into D&D, Pathfinder, major critter, um, and just like, you know, big time gamer of all types, just all around. And when your whole like happiness, your whole heart is this amazing, weird little human who's in your house, whatever they get into, I get really into. (laughs) And uh, so they, you know, they introduced me to like the sort of more contemporary side of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, And, you know, we just started to meet all these cool people just around, you know, from selling tea to nerds at conventions and things like that. And it just sort of fell into it, uh, both from my social and professional context and from my my own home. It was coming from inside the house. And and so I've just started playing in the last... uh, couple years. Again, I played a bit as a teenager, but I didn't have a super great experience with that group. And it kind of turned me off to, to the world of Dungeons and Dragons for a while. Um, and then just the last few years, I realized like, not only are the, the D and D people that I know now actually super friendly and chill and like warm and open and welcoming. Um, but also there's other games in the tabletop world. It's not just Dungeons and Dragons. So I've been finding all of these like um, I've been finding all these like indie, you know, systems that are so cool. I'm getting really into right now, um, like Powered by the Apocalypse. Uh, game. What a what a whole awesome family of games. And so I'm I'm planning on on running my first game pretty soon here, um, which will be uh, the the new um, Powered by the Apocalypse game called uh, Pasión de las Pasiones, which is like a telenovela, like super over the top dramatic one. And I am very excited. <laughs> that sounds really fun. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like I also answered more question than you actually asked. <laughs> hey, this is all about a time for us to just get to know you. So uh, please keep doing that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you have most experience with D&D, but you are getting into some other games. Uh, what, what's kind of your favorite part of playing? Oh, gosh. Well, I really have been enjoying, I find, um, playing kind of cross-type and experimenting with... I guess more exploring um, ideas of like, okay, here's, you know, here's the obvious way to play a certain class or a certain background or certain race, but also, you know, each character is an individual and what are the ways that we can play kind of counter to the stereotypes or explore sort of outside the, um, the cliches. And so like, for example, I am playing a game later today. Um, and I, it's going to be my first time playing like a, a tank fighter, you know, more, uh, physical type character. And, and so it is a level 20 Goliath fighter. And I was like, the obvious thing to do is to make this a very, um, oh gosh, what's his name from guardians of the galaxy, the, uh, Dave Batista and guardians <laughs> of the galaxy, that guy. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Anyway, he's like, he's just very like stoic, very literal, very, you know, kind of lawful, neutral. Yeah, the like muscle of the group. And and that's right, that seems like the obvious way to play that. Um, but instead, <laughs> my character, uh, all of her her fightery stuff, her physicality comes from being like a jock superstar. And she is, in fact, the reigning like world caber toss champion <laughs> and like 
basically Goliath Olympics, like all star. So she is kind of like a big jock, like hugely physical, very, very strong, very tough, like pretty physically intimidating. But actually, she's just like kind of a, you know, kind of a cool jock guy. <laughs> so excited to play that sports star. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be really fun. <laughs> totally. So what type of characters do you normally play if they're not tanks? Oh, yeah. Gosh. Um, most of the characters I have played have, I feel like I lean toward uh, the the descriptor Poindexter a lot. <laughs> I found myself playing kind of, um, I think nebbish is a good word, sort of like dweeby, socially inept, like brainiacs, <laughs> maybe like <laughs> clumsy, a little um, like Milo from Atlantis, you know, the like... Uh, the awkward dweeb with the big glasses who's like, oh, well, according to my research, you know, and uh, it's not, it's like deeply uncool. <laughs> that's That seems to be my character comfort zone. Um, and in terms of class, they usually end up being uh, something that could potentially be like a real academic. So like uh, I've done that with um, Paladin before, actually, <laughs> um, you know, someone who is like from the church. I was like, okay, Paladin, but librarian though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, things like that are like um, wizards are a pretty a pretty obvious one. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like I kind of develop the character first and then figure out what class they might as well be <laughs> with who I want them to be as a person. Yeah, I feel like I sometimes I t- take that approach. Like the last character I made, I took that approach, and I think it's more fun that way. Or you're just yeah. like, no, this is what I want to play, and let's let's match it. We'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll make it work. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> okay, so to kind of shift gears a little bit. Um, for any of the listeners that aren't as familiar with you yet, uh, can you just tell us what Friday Afternoon Tea is? Sure, yeah. So Friday Afternoon Tea is a uh, a small like organic loose leaf tea company based out of Seattle, Washington here. And uh, primarily what we do is we make tea for nerds. Um, so <laughs> the way that works is um, I actually have a, uh, a rare kind of a neurological cross-wiring um, called lexical gustatory synesthesia, which means I do literally taste words and ideas, personalities, moods, kind of abstract concepts like that um, as complex flavor profiles. So it's it's almost like a, a double exposure. Like I can taste, you know, flavors on my actual literal taste buds in my mouth, but I also taste words in my, uh, what I, I guess I refer to as my my brain mouth. Um, <laughs> and and it's, it's like an overlay. So I taste both language and actual physical, you know, flavors at the same time and they're both equally real. Um, so the way you might taste like a, a creme brulee is the way that I might taste, you know, the word like satiny. So I use that superpower <laughs> to <laughs> make tea for nerds. So I do specialize in fandom blends, but things like, you know, here's how your your favorite Firefly characters taste. And here's how your, you know, longtime D&D character that you've been playing and you put so much of your heart into, like, let's talk about that. I'll make you a custom tea that tastes like that character. So it's, it's almost like a, a sensory um, touchstone. For people, so I do a lot of working with people to make teas that taste like their favorite childhood memories, their favorite song. Like um, I made teas that taste like, like you know, your partner's laugh, your mom's uh, like final blanket that she quilted for you before she passed away, things like that. So it's it's very personal work, uh, and I think that's wonderful. And I found that the the nerd community specifically, um, just like general geek fandom community, has responded so well. Uh, to the work that I do, people get so invested in their in their fandoms, in their concepts, their favorite books, their favorite characters, their favorite music, etc. Um, and they bring all that to me, and I get to 
make them a beautiful tea that reflects across a lot of different senses, the, um, the memory and the happiness or the, you know, whatever it is that they want to evoke. So that's how I built an entire business, uh, doing that. And it's been 10 years, actually. Um, we, we launched in 2010 and we're still going strong and growing every year. So yeah, I'm so grateful to be able to do this kind of work. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations for, I guess, 11 years almost. Almost. Yeah. In October. (laughs) How did you learn t- like how to blend teas? Oh, so I was raised by hippies on a um, kind of like a, a commune, like a spiritual retreat in California in the Redwoods. So full on hippie upbringing. My, my grandmother was an herbalist and my grandpa was um, a wizard. Uh, true life. <laughs> he, um, he was... Okay, I'm sorry. I need details. <laughs> um, so my grandfather, he's... His he yeah, his whole family like way back was a bunch of like Irish like druidic pagans right um, so just a legacy like a druid and then um, he himself studied under um, a Hopi shaman to learn that tradition of like healing work and because he was you know Irish American and he was practicing with a fusion of Irish and Hopi uh, healing techniques. He said he didn't want to call himself a shaman. He felt like it was appropriative. And so he said, well, wizard, just call me a wizard. (laughs) That's it. So yes, my grandpa was a wizard (laughs) and (laughs) he was amazing. So I was absolutely raised by hippies and it was a lot of like um, plants as medicine and we like cooked all of our own food and grew most of our own food. And uh, so yeah, I have a personal very, very personal relationship with, uh, with plants and with, you know, mixing of things to create new things like that, that kind of, um, medicinal plant, like alchemy (laughs) is something I just kind of grew up with. Uh, and then I actually was a chef for 15 years. My, my, uh, first career career, um, well, no, my first career was singing jazz at a club downtown Seattle here, but my (laughs) second career, uh, I became a, uh, a chef to support my performing arts career. <laughs> and, and then I just ended up sticking with it. So I um, learned how to kind of finesse the the blending of flavors, you know, spices, herbs, ingredients like that. Um, and it's, oh gosh, I'm sorry. It's such like a lengthy winding tale, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> such is life, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I ended up working in an English tea room uh, straight out of culinary school at 17 years old. And she introduced me to like loose leaf black tea. And I had a golden monkey black tea. And I was like, well, that's that. That's what I'm doing with my life. There it is. This is like a transcendent experience for me. And uh, so I just became obsessed. I'm like Hermione Granger levels of obsession with anything that interests me ever. So uh, I have spent literally my entire adult life obsessively studying tea and learning everything <laughs> I can about it. And, you know, just kind of once I put together that... um what people most wanted from me as like a tea brand wasn't, you know, the the unique experience that I bring to the table with the, you know, the synesthesia and the application of my strange brain chemistry to leaves. Um, that's kind of what I leaned into. My personal geekdom is is more uh, like pure single origin, small farm, ethically sourced, just kind of pure leaf. So like, you know, the pure oolongs, the pure white teas, things like that that come from like one little farm where I can talk to the farmer and be like, why did you make this thing this way? And all that, that's that's my uh, my less well-known well of knowledge. <laughs> is that where you get most of your supplies is just talking with some of the local farmers around you? 
Um, less local, actually. Uh, so okay. tea is tea itself. True tea leaves are are uh, mostly grown in Africa and Asia. Um, there are some like U.S. and you know uh, North American. Um, tea farms, but not a ton yet. Uh, and certainly not Washington. I think we have one tea farm in Washington and she's been around for maybe five years. Um, so she's still kind of learning what her plants want to do. She's still kind of mm-hmm. growing. Um, Hawaii actually is the United States. Uh, they grow most of the tea in the U S right now. Um, Canada has a couple good farms. Uh, Missouri's got a fantastic tea farm, but yeah, we don't have a ton. Um, so mostly I go, to small farms in you know various parts of China, um, Africa, uh, Sri Lanka, etc. <laughs> and then of course there's um, spices, citrus, flowers, etc. Like I, I, I go I go worldwide, um, but I do I do my best to work pr- like predominantly with small independently owned farms. Um, I have a lot of hippie feelings about big agro, um, like which I don't mean as aggressive. I mean agriculture. Just in case I was unclear. <laughs> Big aggro. Uh, <laughs> yes, I have a ton of feelings against um, the large subsidized agricultural, uh, you know, corporate entities, um, which <laughs> I sound like such a hippie right now, but you know, here we are. Uh, it's true. It's true. Uh, so yeah, I do. I do work with farms that I can vet and that I meet through, you know, contacts that I trust and all that. So it has taken a decade to build up the the level of network that I have now. Um but ethical sourcing is deeply important to me, and I just refuse to work with any farms if I don't feel good about their practices, both in you know the treatment of their workers and also in their um, like ecological choices. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really, really important. And mm-hmm. I, I just always appreciate finding more companies that do take that seriously. Like it's mm-hmm. can be a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, based before the COVID times, um, how often were you traveling? to go find more farmers. (laughs) Well, keep in mind that I I am a single mom with a small business um, Mm -hmm. that has only recently opened its first brick and mortar. So uh, basically never. I I don't get to travel very much at all. I mean, like once every few years, I might get to travel somewhere. Um, But mostly I meet my contacts through, we've got this huge uh, international trade convention that happens annually down in Vegas, which whatever. I I don't like Vegas, but I like this convention. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Every time I say Vegas, I'm like, ew. <laughs> but, um, but the convention itself is really amazing. So it's the World Tea Expo, and we get farmers from all over the world. There's amazing workshops. You get to talk. You get to taste and all this. So it's, it's you know, a huge uh, industry event. And then we also have up here in Seattle the uh, Northwest Tea Fest where we get to meet a lot of, um, like, local farmers and suppliers and things like that, which is great. So um, I mostly – contact my farmers via uh, networks of ethical importers that then can set me up with like um, video chats with farmers all over the world. So I can, I can just video call a farmer in Nepal or a farmer in Kenya or, you know, whatever. And uh, so that's, thank goodness for technology <laughs> being what it is. Um, I did have a two week long uh, tea farm trip to India planned for last May. <laughs> Mm. Womp womp. <laughs> it was going to be my first time in India, and that's been the number one on my travel list literally my whole adult life. And I was all set. I was going to go. I was going to stay on these tea plantations. And, you know, I was going to get to actually like pick a process and get really hands on with the whole uh, like tea leaf processing situation. And, um, 
Unfortunately, you know, we we had to bail, uh, which was definitely a good choice because as we got closer to the actual date that we would have gone, India specifically had their borders all locked down during the exact time range that we would have been there. So I was like, oh, yikes, (laughs) I would have been stuck. (laughs) So it's okay. India will presumably still be there, uh, you know, in future when travel makes sense again. But for the time being, you know, we've got uh, we've got Google Meet and Zoom and all that good stuff. So we can still do our our small farm tours digitally. Yeah, technology is definitely uh, helpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were doing culinary school and then you worked as a chef for a little mm-hmm. while. You learned about making teas. So what were the steps that you took to get from just kind of learning about things and deciding to create your own business? Oh, well, I'm a control freak, so uh, I can admit that. Um, <laughs> I, I really like everything to be a particular way, and I resent people being the boss of me, like actively resent it. Um, so <laughs> I, I know that if I want to do something my way, I'll just do it myself. <laughs> and I'm, you know, so um, the idea to start my own business was like never really a question. From the moment I got interested in a thing, I was like, okay, but my way, under my control. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's not really the most flattering light to paint myself in, but you know, again, it is what it is. Um, yeah, so I, I just I studied. I started going to trade shows. Um, actually, the the owner of the first restaurant that I ever uh, managed, he, yeah, I was nineteen and I didn't have my own, you know, like UBI, all the the business like license numbers that you need to go to trade only events. And he said, just use the restaurants information. You can say you're our official tea buyer. Like yes, so 19 years old, I go to my first World Tea Expo. It was in Atlanta, Georgia, the opposite side of the country, and it was thrilling. And like, I will never forget that he did that solid for me because him letting me use his credentials to get into uh, an event that would teach me kind of what path I needed to take to do what I wanted to do to eventually someday be able to leave him. Like that was, it was just like so big of him. And it was just, it was like such an act of love. And, uh, and so I was able to, to start meeting people and learning about how the tea industry and like um, how opening a tea shop might actually work. Uh, and then from there, you know, I, I actually uh, ended up <laughs> moonlighting in business school, um, started taking you know, night classes and online classes. So at this point I was running a restaurant and also planning a business and also um, putting myself through college and also raising a toddler by myself. So it was a lot. It took me a really long time to to get anything off the ground. Um, and, you know, launching a, a new business, particularly one that carries inventory, like a, a physical retail business is expensive. It's a lot of overhead and it's so hard to to get it off the ground, especially when you don't know anything about marketing and you're brand new to the industry. <laughs> but, you know, I eventually did. And um, gosh, I guess my my kiddo was just five years old when I finally managed to launch the business. And it was, it was several gallon jars of tea leaves on an Ikea shelf in my dining room. And, and I, uh, launched a shitty website with some template builder that like, isn't even online anymore. (laughs) You know, um, I like managed to, uh, to get $3,000 in credit with my shitty credit and get just enough product and just enough, like, I mean, $3,000 is nothing for business seed money. That's almost nothing. But it was like just enough to like barely put an operation together. And I still had to also work a full-time job 
<laughs> and uh, and yeah, the whole time I was I was like in business school learning how all the business stuff works. I knew nothing about marketing, nothing about bookkeeping, nothing about you know economics or industry. I just knew that I wanted to sell tea to make myself happy and to make other people happy. And like hospitality is something that, you know, such a draw for me because I, I don't know, I find like personal gratification in um, taking care of other people and seeing them happy and cozy, like total mom friend energy, you know? And uh, so tea is a very natural industry for the mom friends of the world. Um, <laughs> so it's like, I have to do it. I have to serve tea and I'll just figure out the rest. So I basically just like didn't sleep and got through on pure moxie and <laughs> stubbornness and $3,000. <laughs> and, you know, and then just stuck with it. And um, there were definitely years where I had to work more hours and things were just more difficult, tighter. And then years where I was able to work fewer hours in my day job and work more hours uh, just doing tea and the ratio of the, you know, day job to like personal passion um, business shifted very slowly over time. And then I think, I think I had owned the tea shop for about seven years before I was able to make it my full time thing. So Pretty slow. And I know I know a lot of my other small business friends have managed to get theirs up to a full-time operation way sooner than that. Um, I think it's just a, you know, a case by case kind of thing. It is certainly possible to make your passion your full-time job in under seven years. <laughs> I just took a really slow growth approach because I, you know, had other priorities as well. Um, but yeah, I was able to launch uh, a a successful Kickstarter campaign about four or five years ago to get a brick and mortar up and running. Um, and that was kind of the tipping point. Once the brick and mortar was up and running, it's like, well, it's kind of all or nothing at that point. Like, I, I don't have the time to do anything else. This has to be my full-time job. So it better freaking work. <laughs> and, uh, and it hasn't the, the, the addition of a brick and mortar to our like revenue streams, in addition to, you know, the convention circuit and, um, online, uh, it, it was, it was a total game changer for us. Um, tea is, you know, like I said, it's a hospitality industry. People want to, they want to see a friendly face. They want to be able to see and smell their tea. They want to be able to taste it right that minute or come in with a friend and sit down and have a cup of tea. So it's, it just really leveled up our whole experience to, to take it to brick and mortar context. Yeah. I don't know how much question I answered over your actual question. (laughs) (laughs) You have given me many follow-up questions to ask. So (laughs) this is good. So, okay. You said, uh, when you first started that you had just these gallons, um, of <laughs> ingredients, like sitting in your dining room, did you have blends and you were just selling those blends or did you have it so that people could kind of fill out something and you would just create something kind of that start? Uh, yeah, I didn't do custom blends at first. It was a couple okay. of years before I started doing any custom work. Um, so when I first started, I thought, well, okay, I want to sell just pure teas, like senchas and golden monkeys and tiquanians, you know, just the single leaf pure teas, because that's my personal geekdom. Um, and then I thought, ooh, what if I get a little spicy and make a blend? You know, so I, think <laughs> I threw together like one um, totally herbal blend uh, that actually tastes like my my uh, grandmother's smile. And it was such like a, a happy, cozy one. And it was one that I made um, as like a sleepy time tea. And that one actually, we, we still carry as our sweetest dreams tea. It was the very first blend I ever made. And it's just a rooibos, chamomile, and uh, peppermint tea. It's just super cozy bedtime tea. And I was like, well, cool. That's good. 
maybe I could make another tea. So I made another one that was like, um, it was like a sencha and like lemongrass and hibiscus or something like that, you know, something really bright and springtimey. Um, obviously that's not one we still carry cause I can't even remember what all was in it off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, that one in it, it totally bombed. No one wanted it. Uh, and I thought it was just kind of, eh, okay. So, you know, I didn't really think that blends were going to be my forte. I figured I might have one here and there, but it wasn't going to be my focus. And then a friend of mine who owns a steampunk bookshop uh, just north of Seattle in Edmonds um, said, I'm hosting in the bookshop a like kind of dark macabre Alice in Wonderland party. Do you have any tea that might be good for that? And I said, well, you know, I think the tea I would want to serve at that party, I don't yet have, but here's how these different characters taste. And I guess I could apply that to leaves and make a tea. So I made, and that was our Wonderland blend and our Queen of Hearts blend. They were the first two fandom blends that I ever made. And I think I'd been in business maybe a year at that point. And, uh, and, she, and so I served them at her party and they were a huge freaking hit. And people were like, that is what that character tastes like. That is what that like place tastes like. That is, it totally captured it. It's like, oh shit. Okay. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> I guess I could do that. And then I started getting more and more requests for fandom blends. And people said, like, can you make a tea, you know, about this fandom? Can you make a Sailor Moon tea? Can you make a, you know, whatever, like Dorian Gray tea, et cetera. And so I said, well, yeah, cause you know, Obviously, all of those characters have flavors. And then, of course, people are like, wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> sure. But what? So, yeah, um, once uh, once the idea kind of got out there that, that fandom blends could be a thing. So was, this was before um, this was before anyone else was doing it. And uh, and so <laughs> I do get to I like that I get to have that little feather in my cap. I was first. <laughs> I am so competitive. <laughs> It's like so unnecessary, but there we go. Um, yeah. So like once people kind of realize like, oh, I can have a tea that tastes like this fandom that I'm like obsessed with. They got so into it. And then I just started making them. And now I've got, <laughs> I think I have around 400 different teas. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's a lot. It's overwhelming. Um, sometimes I think it's too much. People get like analysis paralysis. You know, they go to the website and they're like, I can't, I don't know where to start. I have no idea how to make a choice here. So I do think it actually negatively affects my sales to have so many options, but also then everyone really can find exactly what they want. And if not, then they can just book a custom blend appointment and then we can make exactly <laughs> what they want. So yeah, it's pretty fun. <laughs> So how long did it take you before you started going to conventions? Oh, I think maybe that was, gosh, three, four years into the operation. Maybe. Oh, no, it must have only been like two years. I think I've been on the convention circuit for about eight or nine years, probably. But to be perfectly honest with you, I have no sense of time and I I don't really know. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's been about eight or nine years. So yeah, Um, not not too long. I did also grow up in the convention circuit. So it's very much my comfort zone, very much my people. Like my parents met in Star Trek Club in high school. um, (laughs) And so yeah, true story. Uh, So I did actually grow up going to like Star Trek conventions, like Xena conventions, X-Men, et cetera. Um, So definitely major nerd household. We were like so into superheroes and sci-fi. It was the jam. Um, so, you know, geeks have been my people since like before I was born, basically. Um, so it was a, a natural place to go where I was like, oh, you like this thing. I like this thing. I can make you goods that taste like this thing that we both like. I see people selling stuff at booths. Maybe I should do that. So yeah, and that became the the bulk of our business over the years uh, up until we opened the, the actual sit-down brick-and-mortar cafe. 
Um, but yeah, it's fun. I like it. You get to people watch and look at all the cosplay and everything, but like they come to you. It's a very imperious way of like <laughs> having the con experience. Like I'm going to stand here and pour you tea and you come to me and show off your outfit. <laughs> it's like a cosplay parade of my very own. And I just get to hang out and drink tea and talk to all the cool people. It's neat. <laughs> 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 hadn't thought of it that way of like yeah no, it's, it is fun when you get to be in one central location and have everyone walk up to uh-huh. you rather than trying to chase down like oh I like your costume but so did 20 other people yeah. in a circle around you <laughs> for sure and also there is something to be said for um what I like to call the bartender effect when you are serving someone a drink from behind a counter they while there is something a little npc about it like i do i do occasionally have like an npc crisis where i'm like wait am i a person or am i like a character in the background of somebody else's game because i serve like all day every day and that's like all that i do um but in the context of a convention it's kind of cool because you immediately people are set at ease you're an official installed part of the convention you can just chat with people and they're not on their guard you're i find that um chatting with somebody at a booth is often less exhausting than chatting with a stranger who is also a fan at the same convention that you're at and trying to gauge like what their deal is and if they're going to be weird at you or whatever, you know? Um, So there's something about that. It's like you get to be the comfort person. You get to be kind of like the stable entity that just, you know, serves a little cup of tea and just chats and there's a script there. And so I I like visibly seeing people kind of set at ease because conventions can be really overwhelming. Um, and to be honest with you, Courtney, like despite all of my like bravado, I, I, talk, I talk a big game. I'm also like deeply shy. I'm a total like softy care bear. So I'm like, I'll be behind my booth. You come talk to me. I want to tell you how pretty you are without you like worrying that I'm being creepy at you. And I'll give you a cup of tea and then you can go about your day and I'll be safe here behind my table and everyone's fine. <laughs> okay. But I just, I really like that outlook though. Like it's so interesting and it's really cool. <sighs> Yeah, vendor life. <laughs> yeah, I'll just the thought of like I'm an NPC and I'm here and like it's just it's really uh-huh. cool. Uh, so you're serving tea <laughs> at conventions. Um, I do you just bring like a select number of flavors that are going to fit the theme of whatever that convention is? Uh, do you have other loose leaf teas? Yeah, so we bring uh, since we have like 400 teas, we cannot bring them all to a convention. That sounds like a pain in the ass, and there physically is not room. So. <laughs> Um, so we bring generally about 20 to 30 different teas, which is still kind of a lot, but you know, we, we try to get like a corner booth so we can sort of spread it out. We display the loose leaf in really beautiful teacups. So we get all the magpies walking past. Oh, shiny China. And uh, they come over and they can smell the loose leaf tea in the, in the display cups. And then we pour samples. We don't sell like cups, cups of tea. Um, but we, cause a lot of, uh, convention, venues that interferes with their um, like catering contracts with with uh, their in-house concessions and things like that. So we're not allowed to sell cups of tea often. And honestly, that's a lot of water. You know, we're not like going around with a full water supply at a booth in the middle of a convention hall. So like we have our like five gallon water jug and then we have a couple of kettles and then we have tiny little French presses, like 12 ounce French presses and a bunch of little sample cups. And we just brew whatever we feel like sampling. So we'll have you know, like four or five different teas sampled out at a time and people can stand at the table and they can smell the tea and chat a bit and we can kind of direct them toward what we think they might like. They can sample a handful of things. And it's, it's just a nice little like, it's a tiny tea break. So it's not a full on like hang out for an hour tea experience, but it's a tiny little tea break and that's very pleasant too. 
Yeah, that's really special. You started doing the convention circuit for a little while, and then you did the Kickstarter for your brick and mortar. Can you Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about what that Kickstarter campaign looked like? Oh, yes, it was. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was tense. (laughs) So we, uh, we actually, I think we failed our original Kickstarter. The first one didn't work. I didn't understand about how to properly market one. Somehow I got it in my head that you start marketing it after it's already launched, which (laughs) now I know is a horrible approach, almost guaranteed failure. Well, I don't know what I was thinking. So (laughs) I have learned a lot, but my first attempt failed. I didn't tell anyone I was doing it until it had launched. Then I was like, hey, guess what, everyone? We're doing this thing. And everyone was like, I have to scramble to find money to support this. And you know, I didn't reach enough people and all that. And so it failed. And then I was like, well, I guess my dream is dead and I can never do this because I I was a theater student before I was a chef, by the way. So I just say things like that. Um, And then a friend of mine said, you know, you can just relaunch it and just do a better job marketing, right? Oh, okay. (laughs) I guess (laughs) I know now that that's an option. It hadn't occurred to me that I had multiple chances at it. I don't know. I think I have kind of an all or nothing personality. Sometimes needs to be um, metered, (laughs) grounded. And uh, so I, I took a second run at it after, you know, really promoting it for like a few weeks ahead of time and also reaching out through the kind of built-in mailing list of everyone who had contributed the first time around saying, okay, let's try this again. So uh, we were able to successfully fund it. Um, <laughs> during that that Kickstarter campaign, also we uh, the laws in Washington state changed so that we weren't able to continue um, blending tea at home. They made the food processing laws more stringent in Washington while we were doing this. So while uh, our our company is, our like business is structured um, in such a way that's classified as repackaging of dry bulk goods. So like, you know, bagging up spices and things like that. It's not considered a high risk uh, industry at all. And so they had been letting us just work from home. They were like, eh, you know, it's going to be boiled, whatever. You're probably not putting anyone in danger working from home. And then they made the laws more stringent, which I have mixed feelings about. Um, I, you know, I'm all for protecting vulnerable populations and also tea leaves are not dangerous <laughs> to bag up in your home kitchen. Like no one's in danger there, but whatever. So we lost our processing facility. And then also my dog burned my house down. So I was like homeless for two weeks. And then it was my, it was my 30th birthday. I was in the middle of a stressful second run at a Kickstarter campaign that was kind of at that point, all or nothing for my business. If it wasn't successful, I would like, I had nowhere else to go in terms of processing and being able to do my work. So I was like, well, <laughs> it was actual make it or break it time. And then, and then I had a house fire, lost everything, almost lost my book of like seven years of recipes because I didn't have them backed up. What was I thinking? They were oh just gosh. in a notebook. All of my recipes, like seven years of all of my recipes were just written by hand, super messy, barely legible in a falling apart notebook. And there were no copies or backups. And our house was on fire. And my partner, who is an EMT and, and uh, was raised by firefighters, is very brave and dreamy. He like ran into the house and saved my recipe book. <laughs> And then he was like, for God's sake, please back this up. Take photos, upload it to the cloud. What were you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I just kind of go along and just do what I'm doing. I'm like such a chaotic person. So it stressed him out so bad I had to back it up. 
he ended up actually photographing all of it and uploading it to the cloud. But there's a couple pages in that notebook that are completely covered in soot. <laughs> so it was a real rough time. Anyway, you asked me about the Kickstarter. I got really derailed because, you know, life is chaos. Um, <laughs> The Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. So it turns out definitely promote the heck out of it before you even get started. That's my number one tip. <laughs> and then, you know, you just have to, it's so hard to keep pushing something. It's like, if, uh, I kept feeling like I was annoying everybody. It's like, I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just here, you know, begging for money for like a month straight. Uh, but that's really what you got to do, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then, um, Teaming up with other companies to offer uh, like incentives, to offer rewards is a very cool thing that I didn't realize during my first round. Um, And then so the second round, we actually had better backer rewards. I was able to partner up with um, a local jewelry maker, uh, Luxury Jewelry, and she put a bunch of our tea leaves into these sweet little glass bottles and put them on necklaces. And that was a very popular backer reward because tea leaves, you know, are beautiful. And she put them in these gorgeous potion bottles. It was so pretty. And um, gosh, we worked with a few like local artists uh, to get like little bundles of like art and tea together. And uh, we did custom blends as a reward, um, something that's just totally unique to our business. Say, okay, if you back at this super high level, you can have a custom blend that can be whatever you want and we'll put it in our permanent collection so anyone can buy it. And you'll know that that's like your creation. Um, So that was a really fun one. Or like exclusive game nights, uh, things like that. Um, So I think just tapping into exactly who your demographic is, knowing your demographic before you get going is so vital because otherwise you can't tailor your rewards and they have to be tailored. You have to know exactly what your people want. Um, But yeah, we were able to do it and it was a, it was a success and it was real tight. And I will say also, oh my gosh, if you are sending out physical goods as backer rewards, you really got to do the math on that shipping because we (laughs) We did like a tea of the month club as a high level backer reward for six months or 12 months, depending on how high they backed. And um, I calculated the shipping for the first month and just forgot that I was going to have to pay that shipping every month for a year for each of those. So I almost bankrupt myself with shipping costs of like heavy packages of tea of the month month clubs. It was so bad. It was like this. It it was yeah it was poorly executed on my part um and i think you know just just looking that far ahead in the actual fulfillment process and making sure you're raising enough money to also cover the expenses of filling all the rewards i feel like that's not a thing anyone told me about before i started <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, it seems obvious after the fact but at the time it didn't occur to me so yikes um yeah but the the kickstarter thing it was it was good and i think you just you know being a, a human being at people and being excited about your own project gets other people excited about your project too. Um, that seemed to be the most key like marketing point for the Kickstarter campaign was I was so obviously amped about what I was doing. And that is infectious, you know, and being able to say, this is, this is for you all. And I am so freaking stoked. And people are like, yeah, it's for me. And I'm freaking stoked now. <laughs> so yeah, um, assuming, you know, people are from California and they say things like freaking stoked. That's exactly <laughs> what they say. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, I mean, and then it, it all just kind of came together. We were able to do it. Um, we did we did budget for uh, six months of cushion we weren't really able to budget for more than that. Honestly, all of our finances were so tight that it we weren't able to budget more than six months of safety net. 
And then our permits for construction took six months to even go through. So we ended up using our safety net before we even opened the doors. It was rough. <laughs> we had so, there were so many things that came up that I didn't even know to expect or plan for that almost ran us out of business before we even opened our doors. And uh, we were able to just honestly just stubborn it out and just figure it out. But it was a real like a uh, real bootstrap situation. It felt impossible. I almost gave up 5 million times. But you know what? Tea is such a beautiful thing to bring to a community. And honestly, I'm just too stubborn and competitive to not be like mom friend pouring tea for everyone forever. So we made it through. (laughs) What would you say has been the most challenging part of running Friday afternoon tea? It's been, you know, 10 years. Oh, um, (laughs) Golly, I think I think it's just like the juggling everything, the the management, time and energy management and uh like work life balance. <laughs> Who is she? I don't know her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's so difficult when you are like when one when one is trying to run a business and also be a human being who exists outside of their business. I feel guilty when I'm working because I'm not paying attention to my family. I feel guilty when I'm hanging out with my family or doing anything domestic because I should be working. There's all this should, should, should all the time. And I think honestly, the biggest challenge has been psychological. It's been (laughs) sticking with something for so long, even though everything in the world is always happening. You know, life doesn't stop just because you're pouring tea, but also you really need to learn how to make life stop long enough to pour some tea, you know, and that's just like as a human being really hard. And as a business owner, juggling all of the being a human being and taking time to drink tea, but also, oh crap, my taxes are due. And also like, oh, I haven't scheduled any of my social media posts this week. And like, oh, I'm bad at photography. I better learn how to get better at that real quick. And like, oh no, I was supposed to write a blog post, but that was like a month ago. <laughs> just It just flies by. So time management uh, is one of those things that has to be an ongoing thing. You can't just manage your time well once and call it good. It's not like, okay, I did it. I managed my time. You have to keep doing that forever. I've been trying to manage my time for a decade and I still like really struggle with it every day. So yeah, it's, um, it can be psychologically like wearing, you know, um, trying to keep fresh and remember why I'm doing what I'm doing and why I love it so much on the days that I'm just really tired. Um, is that's, that's a challenge for sure. But you know, the, the actual work itself and, and, when I do remember to look at what I have already accomplished rather than what I still have not yet accomplished, it's, it is, it's super gratifying and it's super worth it. And it's like, I'm really happy in my career and I'm also so tired. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a team helping you? Oh, I do now. Thank goodness. Gosh, it was, it was only me up until the brick and mortar was already like a year old. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the first year of brick and mortar, I was the only staff. And we were we were open five days a week, like 10 hour days. And also I have a freaking kid. I was trying to like get through middle school. It's like just survive middle school. I'm surviving being the only person who works in this entire company. Um, and yeah, so it was it was a lot of just surviving. But I think goodness, I was able to, uh, I guess, in the fall of 2018, um, 
I was able to finally hire on like two people to staff on weekends so I could go back to working conventions on the weekends. So I was still working, <laughs> but now I've got people at the shop. And then uh, and then the next like February, it was like, okay, we can finally afford to also hire people to work a few days during the week so I don't have to be behind the counter as much. I can like take a day off maybe in addition to sometimes working the counter and sometimes working conventions. And then – Eventually, just just a few months ago, I was finally able to hire enough staff to work the counter at the shop full time. So ostensibly, I don't work behind the counter anymore unless someone needs a shift covered and it's been a real weird year. So I actually still have been. But in theory, (laughs) I don't work behind the counter anymore and I can just do like upper management, big boss stuff and the occasional someday again convention. Yeah, it's... uh, (laughs) So funny, one of my one of my crew, actually my first hire, um, Greg, uh, he, he said the other day, um, he was like, you do way too much. And I was like, no, 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 I'm getting so good at delegating, though. Look at all these people I've hired. And, you know, like you all are working. I'm not doing your job. And he's like, yeah, but for every job that you put down, you keep picking up three more. You're supposed to only pick up one for every one that you put down. He's like, you're like a, the hydra of overworking. <laughs> So, so while yes, I do have a team, uh, thank goodness, really, I've just seen that as an opportunity to pick up more projects. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my balance is not actually better. <laughs> I am working on that though. I am, I'm genuinely working on that. I'm trying to actually like chill out and not work every second of every day. Uh, it's just kind of, it's kind of alien, you know, when like you've spent your whole adult life just trying to like get by. <laughs> Like, I know I harp on the single mom thing, but like, damn, I was like, I was a young single mom. I was 19 and had a kid and was like totally on my own, you know? So it's like, it's, it's been a lot. It's been a struggle. And now I can finally kind of ease up and be more balanced. And it's like, I don't know how. So that's been lately. That's my personal and professional project is how do I have a little more balance and not just be like in survival mode all the time. Now it's not necessary anymore. So yikes. I don't know. That's, that's my next big goal for myself, how to only work sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) So then 2020 hit. How did you pivot? Mm -hmm. Well, thank goodness we started online. So we already had, I mean, we had seven years of online audience before we ever even opened a physical store. So we've been mostly using our physical store as our like warehouse and processing facility. And there were several months where we didn't let customers in at all. We were completely closed. It was one person on on shift at a time filling orders and uh, just taking online orders. And that was it for several months. And now we're at a point where um, while Seattle was allowing cafes to have <laughs> indoor seating with like lots of spacing for a minute there, we were really not comfortable with that. So we just didn't do it. <laughs> But we do allow people now to come in for um, like takeout tea so they can come in and shop around in the store and grab a cup to go. And we just encourage them to move through pretty quick. So we are able to see people's faces again, which is really lovely. And uh, we're just more stringent even than our local government requires us to be with our with our uh, sanitation practices. Um, so I feel good about that. Uh, but yeah, we, we mostly are online. It was wild. It was like a like a total switch. I I was looking at the numbers of various revenue streams and between our in-store sales and our online sales, the ratio like flipped overnight. It was wild. It was like last March, suddenly 
our numbers in store basically became non-existent, but our numbers online were a million times higher than they ever have been. That's not an exact figure, obviously, or else I'd be like making bank over here. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it was it was a huge shift, and so I said, okay, I guess we're an online store again. What what do we know now about? online sales and marketing in the current climate that you know we didn't know when we first started the business and so we've just been able to figure it out and thank goodness for you know the advent of um online events too i i am an analog person you know i was raised by hippie witches on a farm i'm like i could chop wood all day i can fix a roof i can build a chicken coop but like the internet really confuses me and <laughs> So I had to learn how to like use Zoom to teach online classes because we were doing like, you know, tea classes, tea education in store. So I'm like, well, we'll do it online. So I did several, yeah, I did like half a year series of online tea education classes in Zoom. That was great. And that was a little bit of a revenue driver. Um, we started a Discord channel, which was a whole new skill set for me. Um, but it's been awesome. We've got like a couple hundred members in there. And so we formed a little digital tea house so people can still get that sense of tea community. Um, and there's, you know, like an announcements channel on there for like when we release new stuff, whatever. They get to see um, projects that we're working on behind the scenes before anybody else does. So we've built this like nice little digital community, uh, like an online tea house there. And then um, I also started, I, I started a Twitch channel, uh, which I still don't feel super adept at, but like, it's cool. I make it work. Um, where we go and we talk about like rare tea leaves, small farms, we uh, test out recipes, um, play video games on there and just hang out with people, you know, just whatever we feel like. And so we're, we're finding um, other ways to like really stay in touch with our community. Because uh, that's, that's such a huge part of our industry is, is the, the human side of it. And being connected with other people is kind of the whole thing with tea. It is very much, you know, an agriculture good retail product, blah, blah, blah. But really when it comes down to it, tea is about feelings. That's the whole point. So uh, I think our, our most, uh, our most effective pivot point during the ongoing and, and stacking crises of the past year and some change now um, has been just figuring out how to be human with each other via digital means rather than in person, like finding a way to be warm and connected, even though we're talking through electricity, you know? It sounds like you guys have embraced a lot of really unique approaches and like the discord sounds really interesting and really cool. It's so friendly. <laughs> I love our <laughs> discord. It's, it's really great. We've got like, you know, channels where people can like show off their pets and like all the stuff they're baking and then like what music they're <laughs> listening to, what video games they're playing, whatever. Just like general chat. We've got um, channels on there for people to talk in Spanish or in French and like, you know, just all this, all this really great stuff. And it's just like such a nice friend group. So we've got all of our, our local tea shop regulars that have jumped on there now, as well as um, some of our online ordering regulars from all over the world that, you know, had been buying from us online, but hadn't been able to pre-COVID be a part of kind of the tea shop community because it was really a, a very physical community. And now they're able to, and they get to feel connected with other people who, you know, love the same tea shop and love the same, you know, kind of energy that we're bringing the like chaotic friendly, um, <laughs> brand energy that we, that we tend to bring to the table. Uh, so it's just been, yeah, it's just been a really lovely 
a lovely place to to feel connected. I know I've got a lot of people in there um, who've been saying, and, and I feel like this myself, that like, oh, it's such a sanity point. <laughs> like, this is my touchstone right now. This is what's keeping my shit together. <laughs> like, I can come on here, <laughs> talk to my friends, show off, like, look at this pretty teapot I got, or like, ooh, I got this candle, or like, look at this new tarot deck that I got, whatever, you know, and everyone is like, ooh, ah, hi, friend, I love you. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, it's just such like a positive mental health um, resource, you know, having other freaking human beings who are relatively like-minded and just want to be friendly and hang out. <laughs> <laughs> that is so important, especially mm-hmm. in these days, mm-hmm. for sure. <laughs> Do you have any upcoming projects that you are excited about? <sighs> Probably. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to be honest with you, at this point, I'm so day-to-day. I wake up each morning and I'm like, wait, what am I doing? Wait, what? It's like I, I have um, 100% like quarantine fatigue brain. My head is mm-hmm. a sieve. I don't know what I'm doing unless I'm looking actively at my calendar. <laughs> so like probably. Uh, um, but I couldn't really say. I know we're taking a little bit of a break right now from releasing new stuff, which I say as I have just released like a couple new things this week. I can't stop. Ugh. But <laughs> we've been- We've been working a lot with like local authors to do uh, more teas that are inspired by their writing. Um, and that's always super fun. I really love that. But it's it's kind of more scattershot projects than any big focused projects right now. I think mostly um, mostly what I'm working on is, is kind of digitizing a lot of our education content, um, working on updating the website so it's a lot more um, like fun to use, a lot more pleasant to navigate, just like prettier and happier to be on. It's it's attractive and functional right now, but I want it to feel happy. <laughs> I want people to want to just hang out on our website. That's, that seems cool <laughs> to me. So that's kind of my uh, my project right now. We're doing a little bit of like wholesale outreach, trying to connect with more um, like cafes in the area that want to carry our tea and like actually get that partnership going. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of scattershot stuff, just sort of always reevaluating and upgrading what we're doing and taking feedback from our community and trying to just make our operation more of a, a wonderful, happy, like gift to the community. Cause that's, that's the whole point. So yeah, it's a lot of, it's like maintenance, which is exciting to me, <laughs> but like sounds <laughs> real boring on the outside. I think <laughs> hey, that's important. It's all part of the business. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, Friday, thank you so much for coming on today. Where can people find you? Oh, yeah. I'm so happy to be here. Um, So people can find us online at FridayTea.com. That's our main website where you can buy all of our yums and find all of our pretty, pretty pictures. And uh, on socials, we are on all socials at Friday Tea as well, um, except for on Twitch where we're at Friday Afternoon Tea because someone already jacked Friday Tea before I got there. Oh, no. It's fine. I'll allow it, I guess. Um, yeah, and then and then if people do want to join our Discord, um, we sometimes have the link posted on our Twitter. I'm not great about that. I should pin it or something. <laughs> but you can always ask us on our socials. We are really responsive to DMs. So yeah, if you want to join our awesome community of happy, friendly, tea-swilling nerds, uh, just ask. <laughs> we love everybody. We like literally love every single person. So... <laughs> We'll definitely have all of those in the show notes. Uh, But again, thank you. This was so much fun. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Courtney. You are a freaking delight to talk to. 
that's it for today's episode of Role Play Grow. To check out the show notes, you can go to lightheartadventures.com slash RPG. To keep up with every episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave me a review. Reviews are one of the best ways to help a newer podcast get up off the ground. To follow me on Twitter, you can either find me at lightheartadv for our business account or at KetraWCR to see me tweet about other things like my dog and World of Warfare. You can also find us as Lightheart Adventures on both Instagram and Patreon. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week on Role Play Grow.